Welcome to Blue Collar BS, a podcast that busts the popular myth that we can't find good people, highlighting how the different generations of today, the boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z are redefining work so that the industrial revolution that started in the U.S. stays in the U.S. Welcome back to this episode of Blue Collar BS. You may have noticed a different voice bringing in this show. It's because Mr. Stephen Doyle, my co-host, happens to be out today with some uh, emergency family issues that are going on with him and his family and not able to be here today. So our thoughts and prayers are with Mr. Doyle and his family today as we uh, continue on this episode of Blue Collar BS. I am excited today to have our guest, Alex Pauls. This guest came about in a very strange kind of way as we were having a one-on-one conversation about his marketing business, KP Design. And he says to me, hey, yeah, I used to be a high-tension wire electrician kind of guy. And I'm like, back that truck up. So Alex has, let's see here, it looks like, ooh, 15 years at uh, Manitoba Hydro, dealing with all sorts of fun things, and then decided to take his career down some technical sales and other things and became this marketing genius and guru with him and his bride. So I'd like to welcome Alex to today's show. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Nope. Thank you for taking the time to be here today and having a conversation about life's transitions and all the things that come along with that. And in tradition of the show, I get to ask Mr. Doyle's question that we always ask every guest as the first question. What generation do you identify with? After a quick Google search, I discovered that I am just at the cutoff point of Generation X. So I guess I'm a proud member of that generation. Okay. Um, do you feel that your behaviors are within that generation as well as you see them or know them? Or do you feel that your behaviors are more to the skewed younger or skewed older? I think that I'm a pretty good representation of Gen X, but I'm doing my best to keep up with the times and stay hip take as much as I can and learn from the youngsters and just keep making myself better because I plan on not retiring anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, uh, that is always the thing is learning from each other. And that's part of what we promote here on this show is being able to uh, learn both directions and not be hierarchical. Uh, And that's some of the things we have going on with a lot of our boomer owners today is they're not willing to take that step back and figure out what's going on. So you entered Manitoba hydro, 20 some years, 20 years ago, it looks like when you started there. So what got you into power electrician technician world? I was going to college. Uh, My wife and I had just recently been married. We were about 20 years old and she saw an advertisement for basically electrical engineering technology in the college. And she knew that I was always interested in becoming an electrical engineer at some point. I had taken a year off of university and it ended up working out that the day I graduated college, Manitoba Hydro gave me an opportunity. I moved up north to the northern part, probably one of the most northern coldest parts of Canada, uh, other than being in the Arctic, where, I mean... Fort McMurray over. gets pretty cold out in the yeah, Albion I, I was basically <laughs> the Fort McMurray of Manitoba. So the little <laughs> town is called Gillum, and we were generating... Um, I would say 80 to 90% of the power of Manitoba there, hydropower. And uh, yeah, so basically they saw, you know, I interviewed and they saw, you know, a diamond in the rough and I'm always grateful for them for giving me that opportunity. And I 
put learned so many things over the 15 years that I was there. And it get, came to the point where I had filled up my toolbox so much that my new goal was to basically go into business with my wife. And I wasn't quite sure how I was going to do that. They offered me accidentally, they offered uh, a buyout to about a thousand people that they were trying to get to retire. And I ended up taking a retirement package. <laughs> which I was very, which I was very grateful for too, because I was going to end up quitting it with nothing. So I at least got a, you know, I always tell everybody if somebody's going to pay you to leave, you take the money and you leave, and you take your skills and you're grateful and you move on and you do new amazing things. So that's kind of how I ended up here. That's how I ended up meeting you. I'm constantly networking. What were the experiences? I mean, so obviously you were a young kid coming into the just out of university. 20-ish years old or so, probably had a lot of senior tenured employees there. So you're the lowest on the totem pole. And at that point you had probably boomers and silent generation workers at the same time. How did you go about trying to fit yourself into that crowd? Because I'm sure that these guys weren't very potentially welcoming and, hey, here's this new kid that can help us be better. And there probably was some hazing back in the day and things like that. So how well were you received and how'd you get through that? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, So I get, I get up into the middle of nowhere and I, I honestly consider myself one of the luckiest people. We I had a house that was basically free that they provided for me. I walked around like I had won the lottery because before, the, before that, I was a poor student making like $15,000, $18,000 a year. And all of a sudden I have this trade position and I'm And for just, our guests, that's Canadian dollars. That's Canadian dollars. So it's like 10000 US, you know. And I was just so grateful. So, but it was very funny. Like you said, there's all these different generations. So uh, the guys that had 20 years more experience than me, they, they were grumbling that, you know, the, the things were kind of falling apart and it just wasn't like the old days, you know, and here I am coming out of school and just grateful to be getting a paycheck. So it really put things into perspective. So I, I show up on my first day, I basically sit down in front. Have you ever seen the Simpsons? I have. Uh, if anyone has ever seen The Simpsons, when Homer Simpson sits as, at his desk, that was me on my first day <laughs> working in a power plant. You have all these buttons and all these lights. And basically, you have a guy beside you that says, don't touch anything. anything. Nothing. Don't touch any of it. Uh, so that was a, a real eye opener because I just remember thinking to myself, man, I don't remember this day in college when they when they were supposed to be teaching me this. So uh, I heavily relied on uh, mentorship, senior technicians, training me, obviously books, reading, and, you know, trying to get up to speed as quickly as possible so that I could be a valuable, you know, asset resource to my compadres. What was the, what's your most memorable or fearful opportunity while you were working there? Because I'm sure you were put in some situations that are not, not things that are going to be, Hey, no big deal. Right. <laughs> high wire, high tension, weather conditions, all those other things. I mean, do you have a story of that moment where you're going, yeah, I don't know if this is right for me. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I, I just remember there were a lot of days where thinking, I was thinking to myself, the only reason I'm doing this is so that I can tell my grandchildren one day that I did this, you know, you know, walking through the snow in minus a hundred and it's like seven feet and I have no shoes. I wanted to be that guy. So this is basically my, my, my story. So I was pretty new. I would say about a year and a half into my like trainee program. And I was working uh, the night shift with uh, the other electrical technicians. And one of our uh, power transformers went down. And this is like five, 500, you know, megawatt type transformer. Basically we're losing a million dollars an hour 
So, you know, the equivalent of a fire emergency, like you basically put on all your gear and you get out there and stop the bleeding as quickly as possible. So I just remember gearing up and it was, oh, so here's where it gets interesting. It's minus 68 degrees Celsius. So if anybody wants to do a quick Fahrenheit conversion, I'm guessing they're probably about the same minus 70 Fahrenheit. Yeah. 40, 40 is about after 40. Does anybody care? Right. Exactly. So basically I'm on, you know, Pluto and I'm wearing every single piece of clothing I've ever worn. And I'm just blinking so that my eyes don't freeze and explode. And me and this other guy, we're basically working as quickly as we can to get this transformer up and running again. Wow. That, that was something else. So every half an hour, we would have to go back in and try and warm up and take a break. I remember he had actually gotten really bad frostbite on his hand because he would have to take off his glove to do some fine work outside. And then, you know, I, I, and I was actually standing there with a heat gun. We were taking turns with a heat gun on each other's hands while we're trying to trying to wire and trying to work the wrenches. And so it, it, it really is something else. Um, I mean, if you could imagine astronauts, I mean, we were basically astronauts on earth working on this and it was, uh, it was exciting, horrible and exhilarating all at the exact same time. So do you have any other stories, Alex? Yeah, I got uh, I got a really good one for when I first became a technician. I uh, was lucky enough to get a really great group of guys, and we were tasked with doing maintenance on a transformer in front of the college where I graduated, right on a giant like one of the most busy drags in the entire city of Winnipeg. So with a chain link fence where everybody can see what's going on. <laughs> everything everything is going well until the sparks fly <laughs> until the sparks fly so these two old school welders show up we're talking about guys with tons of knowledge and they arrive with this beautiful young girl she's maybe like 18 or 19 years old and she's a, a welder in training and it ha- happens to be that she was like uh, a beauty contestant too it was it was very surreal like <laughs> what the these things don't match what's going on here right exactly so these two old welders show up with this beautiful young girl in front of the college where i graduated on my very first you know official technician job doing transformer maintenance so i got my crew we're tasked with removing the ladder from the transformer the welders they come in they cut the they cut the ladder off. Well, this is their, their task is to cut the, the ladder off. But in their process, I hear them trying to show off to this girl how close they can cut, you know, you know, to the tank to make it like a perfect, perfect shot. We're not so going to use any grinders here. <laughs> no, no, exactly. So they're just using a plasma cutter and um, they, they cut it off. And of course, they puncture a hole in the tank. This is about a 10,000 liter uh, tank. I, I don't know how many gallons that is about three or 4,000 gallons. It's a lot. It, it's oil. more, it's more than a gallon of milk. It's <laughs> yeah. So not only that, not only did they puncture it, but all of a sudden oil starts shooting, like I would say 15 feet right out of the transformer, like a, you know, like in a cartoon, right. And there's a hole and he's got the flame held to it. So it, not only is it oil, it's a, like, it's like a flamethrower. <laughs> shooting out onto the street and if you could see my whole face it's white with my with my like chin hitting the ground and i'm just like i I couldn't even say anything 
These guys do not panic even for a second while I'm freaking out. One of the old guys walks over to his truck, grabs a piece of wood, comes back and he's just slowly whittling it while this oil is just shooting across. And he just quietly puts that little toothpick into the, into the hole. And he's like, no problem. And then, then begins to weld that little hole shut. And meanwhile, me and me and my guys were like, Oh God, now we got to do an oil cleanup recovery. The, the paperwork that that guy had no idea we had to do, but he impressed her. Not so much. Oh, exactly. And then there's me freaking out because it's my, my first gig. And I got to explain this to everybody and put out like a, you know, contamination report and, you know, an oil spill report. Oh, it was just a, for a young technician, it was a gong show. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But I think she was impressed. I doubt it. <laughs> well, those are experiences very few get to have. Yeah, for sure. Uh, very few get to have that type of experience. So you've created an opportunity for legacy to your, <laughs> for your family name. <laughs> for sure. So, con- so congratulations, mission accomplished. Yeah. All right. So, so then you opted to, to leave that for probably because it was in the middle of nowhere and it wasn't always fun and exciting and I'm going to guess family got involved in some way, shape or form. You had kids along the way and, you know, middle of nowhere, Manitoba is probably not the place to raise a family is my hunch. You know what? Actually, there was a lot of people that were uh, raising their kids up there and spent, you know, a good 10 years. It just wasn't for me. I was not a Northern type person. My wife and I, we kind of did our stint. We were there for four years and I basically wore pajamas and wore clothing. That's all I did was work and sleep. And I do not remember 2002 to 2006, just because I would be working about four. I, w- I would say I was averaging about 4,000 hours a year. Wow. Working. Yeah. Was that because you, they couldn't find anybody else to do the work or they just, that was just the norm? Um, I think that was just the norm. Uh, you, you are expected to work. I mean, you go up there and you go to work. You know, we were making hay while the sun shined. I was young. I had a lot to learn. So what better way to learn than on the job? So in, in basically four years, I kind of put in about 12 years worth of hours. So I was, you know, le- learning rapidly. Cool. Yeah. And, and you talked about mentorship. Was, was that hard for you to acquire people to uh, create relationships with so they could teach you? And were they receptive? Were, were they not receptive? How difficult yeah, was that? I- I was a little bit worried about that at the beginning. I I guess this goes back to your original question, but uh, I I would say 95, 98% of the guys there were like fantastic to work with. They, they helped me shape myself as a technician and then helped me figure out how I wanted to shape the next generation of electrical trainees coming up as well. So very welcoming. It wasn't, it wasn't like this military style where, you know, I would basically have to, you know, shine their shoes and, and carry their tools. It was, there was a lot of mutual respect and I was grateful for that environment because I don't, I don't know how I would have fared in, you know, I guess in an abusive environment or a typical norm environment where, you know, the, the trainee is just basically the lowest on the totem pole and whatever happens to him, it doesn't matter. Did you get an opportunity to have people to share and transfer your knowledge to? Did you get that opportunity? Yeah. So after I left Northern Manitoba, I actually worked in Winnipeg for 
I would say as a, as a technician, I worked in Winnipeg for about six or seven years. That was probably my favorite part of my entire career was actually doing that mentorship portion. That was my favorite part of the job. The, the work itself was fine, but, you know, transferring that knowledge and seeing, uh, it was almost like having kids, you know, you, 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 tr- you try and teach them. And then when you see them succeed and start to do well and even surpass you, it, I don't know, for me, it was very rewarding seeing those things because I'm, I, I think any good teacher wants to see the students surpass them. Absolutely. That is, uh, that is part of the grandiose plan. And as we talk on this show very often, it's right, pay it forward and create opportunity and, you know, success happens to be the employees and failure should be the leaders. And because if, if, if there's a failure, if they fail, it's because you didn't do something as a leader to put them in position for success. And that's not always the case in many factories and construction sites and things like that, because they're always looking to place blame instead of taking on the accountability and responsibility. For sure. And I, and I always made sure to take extra credit for their success, you know, basically taking all the credit for their success. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, I think that's not true, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they would know as soon as something good would happen. I, I always chime in, you know, that that's because of me, right? Yeah, maybe that that type of smart ass comment, maybe, but not sitting up there and saying, look at what I did. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah. No, that doesn't appear to be your MO from what I've been able to gather in our short, uh, short tenured relationship here thus far. No, but I actually uh, am pretty close with a a lot of the guys that I work with still, even though I'm no longer in that industry and um, I'm just constantly cheering them on. So that's fantastic. You go through there, you go to. Uh, Winnipeg, home of the Jets. They were already, were they gone or are they still there at that point in time when you moved there? I think they left in, I think they left when I was a kid and then they came, they came back later on. Yeah. No, they weren't there when I came. They weren't there when you got there. So then you were hockey starved. So that's a problem. Yeah. I was hockey starved for a long time. And then as soon as it's funny, because as soon as I left Manitoba to move to Alberta, I also took credit for the Jets almost making the Stanley cup finals where the, the Vegas Knights beat them out of the Western conference final. And then I was cheering for Washington to beat Las Vegas that year, but Washington. Yes. The Washington capitals. Yeah. Now you have Seattle. So now when you say Washington, that becomes a very different conversation, right? Sure. Yeah. Cause it's like, is it Washington or is it Seattle? Who are you talking about now? Yeah. DC. We should say DC, right? (laughs) Correct. The capitals. Um, So what got you out of, Right. You said you earlier had this passion to or desire to work and open a business with your bride. How did that come about? And and how did this marketing SEO world come to fruition for you? Because that's a very different. Yes, it's still ones and zeros and it's electricity and different things, but it's very, very different. Yeah, um, that's that's a really good question. So I guess if we rewind back in time. My wife and I, we met when we were 15 years old and we dated until we were about 19 or 20. And then we got married and we always knew that we were going to be together and start something new. So when I took this retirement package, it kind of sparked in us that, okay, this is possible, but how are we going to do it? So we tried a few different things. Um, Before I even left Manitoba Hydro, I was relying on my wife to create uh, a website for me so that I could be a handyman. So this is how we've, we started to try and 
become entrepreneurs, right? Well, she was already an entrepreneur, but then she was blending her talents of web design with my talents of, you know, being able to fix anything. And that started to work locally, but then we ended up, uh, after I left Manitoba Hydro, we basically folded up shop of the handyman business. She was still working digitally anywhere, uh, doing her websites. And we traveled Europe with the kids. And then we ended up coming back and I kind of gave up on the dream of us working together for a little bit of time. I kind of put, you know, put it on the shelf because it didn't, it didn't really work out our travel blog slash we couldn't figure out a way to monetize it. Right. So I did, I did some electrical sales. I basically did the opposite of what I was doing in Manitoba Hydro, where I was selling equipment and I picked up a lot of great skills there too. I enjoyed it. But still, I had that nagging in the back of my mind. I got, I still want to be able to work for myself eventually. And basically, the opportunity came about uh, when I left my my last sales job, where things just didn't click. And that was fine. And it kind of thrust me into this idea of how are we going to put this back together again, where we work together. So we took a look at her business. And basically, we figured out where she was missing some pieces because we wanted to grow her business where my wife doesn't really market herself. She just kind of lets, she just passive marketing. She just kind of lets things come to her. Whereas I I came in and I wanted to do the business development. I wanted to get her gifts more known widely because she's, she's very humble and I am not humble when it comes to her because I think that she is incredible and she does so many different things. And the more people we talk to, the more we realize how many jobs she actually does where other companies pay multiple people to do what she does. So to me, that's incredible. So basically I'm filling in certain pieces of the puzzle for the business, helping market, helping to do SEO because she doesn't do that. And she's doing all the web design, graphic design and things like that. And then, you know what, the first, the first year we doubled our business. So we knew right away. Yeah. Thanks. We knew right away that we were on the right track. And then the year after that, we doubled again, and we're on pace to double again. We are getting very tired, but we are very grateful at the same time. Double, 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 which which leads me to the next question. So if you've gone double, 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 have you had to bring in and hire other people at this point yet or not yet? Um, we are starting to partner strategically with certain people. Okay. Uh, last year, we started to bring on some contractors, and she quickly realized that this isn't something that she wanted to do. She didn't want to manage anybody. Gotcha. Yeah. She didn't want to be a CEO. She didn't want any of those things. Whereas that was more of my vision. I quickly realized that she still is the CEO because whatever vision she truly wants, uh, I have to, I have to stick to that. So if we want to franchise and things like that, that is not happening. And we, I have come to realize that I'm more of the, the, you know, the C COO. I just basically do what the CEO tells me to do and work, work with that vision. So okay. I would I, I would say that us doubling in the first year was a great accomplishment, but it's not like we were making a, a ton of money. Doesn't matter. Doubles, double. Yeah, doubles, double. But I, you know, I would say that we are getting very close to becoming maxed out and being happy. So now the next okay. goal, the next goal for us is to kind of maintain and enjoy our life. Gotcha. Okay. And get, and get the tools we need to not burn out and make the partnerships. You know, if I, if I need certain uh, tasks completed and I don't have the bandwidth, 
I know that I have a partner that I can. Okay. Cause that, that was, cause if you're not hiring the employees, that was my question as you go through this, as you, as you have matured uh, through your career path and folks in this particular lane that you're in with web marketing, digital space are younger and younger and younger, I guess, even with your, your contractors that you've been trying to acquire and use, how's that process been to make sure you find the right fit and and the right work ethic that fits your brand and your promise? Yeah, I think that's the toughest and most time consuming part is finding and trusting the right people to want to work with. And I I almost feel like we're at the point where we, we find the right people and we just let our clients work directly with those people that we don't subcontract. Okay. I think I think for us this is the right way to go. Instead of trying to white label uh, a lot of the people that we work with, we just put them out front and center. We don't take uh, you know we don't take a profit, we don't take a commission off off their work, and we just you know I- introduce and and try and put the right pieces together and re- recommend you know the best solutions for our clients. Yeah, when we did our uh, we put an in ground pool in in two thousand and eight from our above ground, and we've hired somebody and they said, Hey, um, here's how this is going to work. We're basically digging the hole and putting the pool, but you're going to talk to this guy for the concrete. You're going to talk to this guy for the landscape. You're going to talk to this guy for the fence. You're going to talk to this guy for electrical and it's all good. Um, mm-hmm. but you're going to pay them direct. You're not paying us. So right. we, and, and you're just going to take care of it. These are the folks you need to use. They work with us, not for us. And we're all going to work together to make sure that you have the best experience possible. And it was a fantastic relationship and how they did it. And I was, I was rather shocked back in the time that they were doing that compared to saying, how do I keep the extra two or 3% or 4% myself along the way? It it says a lot about trust too. and, And the relationship, if they're just willing to hand their client over, you know, directly to somebody. Uh, I mean, that, that says a lot of, a, a lot of things for both parties. Correct. Yeah, that is spectacular. So somebody sure. wants to get a hold of Alex in today's world and and either talk history of of high tension. If somebody if, if there's a young kid that might have interest in in high tension, high power electrician, or you got somebody that's interested in, in you know, web design, digital space, digital marketing, whatever it is that goes on with uh, your business here at KP Designs, how do they get a hold of you? The best way to get a hold of us is through our website. It's kpdesign.ca. And just check out some of the new videos we got on there. Huge shout out to our video guy at the Project Shaman, Five Schmidt. He uh, put together some amazing stuff, him and his wife, Unity. So we try and promote everybody that we work with as well on our website. And uh, that's definitely the best way to get a hold of me. Or you can just find me on LinkedIn, Alex Pauls. Okay, very cool. Um, I thank you for sharing your story today. I thank you for um, what you did in that hellish environment you lived in for <laughs> for years, because not many people are willing to do that. You know, being a, a guy that was in the mining space when our techs had to, when our stout guys from Busaris had to go back up to the Fort Mac or to the tar sands to deal with the problem or to fix something, or when we were building our drag lines up in Edmonton in the middle of winter, I'm like, yeah, not for me. So I'm grateful that people like you are willing to do that work. So thank you. Oh, thanks very much. I appreciate that. All right, man. Until we talk again, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Blue Collar BS brought to you by Vision Forward Business Solutions and Professional Business Coaching Inc. If you'd like to learn more on today's topic, just reach out to Steve Doyle or myself, Brad Hurd. Please like, share, rate, and review this show as feedback is the only way we can get better. Let's keep blue-collar businesses strong for generations to come.